All right. And so we got both of them. All right. Awesome. Scott, welcome to the completely unreasonable tour. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would <laughs> imagine so. This is an episode I've had on the calendar for a while. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess we'll start with uh, how we met, and uh, I'll, I'll let you go, and then I'll fill in whatever I think is uh, purposeful, or even how you found me. Like that, that might be a good thing, too. Well, I became aware of you through our mutual friend, Brandon Lilly. Yeah. He started posting some of the, or reposting some of the stuff you were doing. Mm-hmm. And then last year at Winter Strong, I think we were standing in line yeah. waiting for Flip Flop to oh yeah, give yeah. us some food. And then we stood in line <laughs> as we went through to get dinner or whatever. And just I started talking to you. And that was right before you were getting ready for your bodybuilding show, I yeah. think, when you were turning 40. So I was fascinated by like that mindset behind it. And, yeah. And it just kind of went from there. Awesome. Um, well, same thing here. Like as Brandon has a tendency to do. Just a lot of us know each other because of Brandon and then being exposed to your firearms in a peripheral sense beforehand. But then after meeting you and then getting to winter strong and actually shooting everything, I was like, Oh wow, this is as you, as it says, principles and precision, which by the way, I don't think I've told you this, that shirt is my favorite shirt. And so do you know that saying actually came from Brady Tatanka? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. He always he had a quote one day that I saw. It said, "The principles of precision never change, only the theater which they employ." Wow! And it just struck yeah. me, and I'm like, so I text him and I said, "Hey, you may see a shirt with something similar to that, just so you know, I'm giving you credit." Yeah. And and we donate to a fundraiser. Yeah. Uh, that he's part, um, of. part of because that was his quote. But I'm like, man, how cool is that saying? It applies to everything we do. Yeah. That is fantastic. I, I didn't know that before. Yeah. That's, I, that shirt I wear, and every time I wear it, I'm like, man, we got to step our game up. <laughs> like, like it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great one. Um, so getting started, I want to kind of hear your take or pitch on what exactly Volcourts and Firearms is for you. So first and foremost, I'd call us, we are a family business. We've grown. My, my dad started the business as a hobby back in the mid seventies. My brother and I took over in the early two thousands. Yeah. And when we took over, it was still very much family. Maybe uh, one of my dad's son-in-laws or our brother-in-law were working, mm-hmm. but nobody outside the family. And that came from dad always worried about if they didn't have our last name, would they have that same level of attention yeah. to detail? Mm-hmm. So our challenge was we wanted to grow up because we also grew up watching our dad anytime he went on vacation. We took very few vacations because every time he left, nobody was making money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't necessarily want to do the same thing. I wanted to be able to travel with my kids and do different things. So our challenge was to be able to grow the business, expand it, but still keep that family environment. Yeah. And I feel very fortunate that we've been able to do it. And we've, you know, had our challenges with building culture, losing culture, and then having to reestablish it, which, it was very difficult. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's interesting because when people come in, I always have to say, well, you know, stay with me as I introduce you to everybody. Yeah. Because this guy's brother may work for us. Okay. We may have a husband, wife that work for us in completely different departments. Our production manager's son works in the tool and die shop. That's awesome. Her niece builds uh, pistols for us. So it's through that, we've kind of been able to keep it as a family. It makes sense. Environment, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, for those that don't know, our specialty and has been for about the last 30 years is 
everything rim fires. Yeah. Which is fantastic. The way I pitch everybody when I talk to them about it, I'm like, you're getting ready to shoot the Cadillac of 22s or rim fire. So let's pretend hypothetically real quick that someone didn't know what those words meant. Not that I don't know what, I'm just saying hypothetically for <laughs> listeners, what, do, what does that mean? In the most basic sense, it means that the primer on a rim fire is in the rim of the cartridge okay. at the rear where the center fire, the primer is in the dead center and rim fire is less expensive to make, but it's also limited in what you can do in regards to pressure, which okay. is why larger calibers are all center fire. And typically you won't reload rim fire. So rimfire is going to be, for the most part, 22 long rifles, the most common one, and like 22 mag and 17 HMR. Okay. Good. That'll be very helpful for anyone out there yeah. who didn't know what that meant. <laughs> and, and the interesting thing is, like, uh, with rimfire, it's always come with a wrap that, you know, it's cheap to shoot, it's whatever, but it's it's not going to function the way more expensive stuff will. Okay. So it's been our challenge for like the last 30 years to get it to perform mm. and function the way everything else does. Mm. And it does. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the interesting thing that can be difficult is I always laugh because if people have center fire ammo, they have it stored in climate controlled yeah. cases, everything I'll ask them like they may have a malfunction. I'll say, what kind of ammo are you shooting? Oh, I don't know. I throw it all in this bin over here. That's sitting in my basement that has humidity at, <laughs> whatever level yeah it, it, it almost gets treated just like a lesser than mm -hmm. so it's kind of been our mission to elevate that yeah. i i mean i've fired a lot of different weapons in my life and um admittedly shocked shocked actually when i fired yours i was like whoa this is not what i expected at all and so in the best way possible so um i think it's great and uh, I'm I'm actually really excited for you to yeah. get a get a run on these. And uh, we have our cameraman, the world's largest cameraman, Berto. It's coming down tomorrow. <laughs> TM. Yeah, yes, yeah, it really is. Um, he's going to come in tomorrow. and He's going to film some stuff, so we'll be able to show everybody what that's like. Well, and this is one of the things we like is, you know, we love to hear like those comments out of you, but watching somebody like you that's not really familiar with firearms, being able to take it out and enjoy it and start hitting targets. Mm -hmm with relatively little instruction and there'll be phenomenal instructors out there tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, world, world class. And I just stand back and watch and listen and learn. So you'll be fortunate to be on both ends of it. You'll be getting to shoot, you know, our 22s, but at the same point, get instruction from like uh, one of the guys we bring down is Colby Pavlock, who's won four world titles at Rimfire. And then on the rifle side, we have, you know, snipers that, have you know our absolute masters at what they do yeah well one of the things you're talking about it's a thing that we talked about a lot is and i think there's a theme through that through what we see as a lot of stuff is in in your own way you're you're lowering you're lowering the barrier of entry for it, something to be enjoyable is the right word but accessible to something and then allowing that as an entry point for someone to not feel intimidated by and we've talked about that in terms of like strength training or fitness exactly. or whatever it is to whatever level you're able to take something to a spot that someone who has no idea what they're doing can participate in it at a point that's going to give them a little bit of a boost of being like, Oh, I'd like to come back and do that a second time. Cause that's always the goal, right? Is I want, I want you to want to do it again. And that's what we always figure if we can set them up just for a little success, right. They'll get that bug and they'll want to come back. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, the, the, the thing I heard when you were talking about 
your company is responsibility. Like you're responsible for a lot of people. Mm, yeah. And, and I think that gets overlooked when we're talking about business, family owned business and just in general. And so I guess my idea or my thought is like, what does that feel like for you as um, a business owner? Like just the responsibility of one carrying out something that has that moniker of being principled and, and precise, but also uh, carrying on a legacy and then, you know, trusting and trusting it with other people. It's a lot of, right there. The, I'll start with the responsibility of having like, you know, when we have a husband and wife that work for us, for example, mm-hmm. and they have two kids. I learned you have to be really careful because you can almost get to a point where you start being too cautious mm-hmm. because you don't want to screw it up because you're like, I don't want to affect, you know, it's not just yeah. when I was younger, it's just me. Yeah. If I don't eat. I mean, I'll figure out something else. Right. Yeah. yeah. But now when you have families that are depending on you, I went through a phase where we would almost get conservative. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not take too many chances. Mm. We know this kind of works. Yeah. And my brother who co-owns a business with me would agree with me. There was a time like back in 2010 that caught up to us. Yeah. We had other companies pass us by and what we were, what we thought we were supposed to be the best at, we were getting our butts kicked at. And that just came from getting complacent and almost like I said, too conservative, not taking chances, which is what we had always done. Yeah. I mean, one, I mean, so how did that recognition come about? Just straight up data or was it just like, well, you know what? There's, there's a thing that happens when I think when you want to grow or look or move on or whatever, where you just kind of have to like, well, we'll take a small chance and then those small chances just keep adding up or like, how did that play out? So what happened was, we were accustomed to, we would go to different events and do different things. And people would always talk like our stuff was at the top. Mm-hmm. And we started seeing a couple times and different events where we were no longer in that conversation. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. It hurt when, yeah. but, but it's our own fault. We got complacent. We got our egos got the best of us. So we made a very conscious effort. To like, okay, where are we getting beat at? And then the other part of that is we have to be very careful too. We don't like to spend too much time comparing to what other people are doing. Yeah. Because you get caught up in, I mean, typically what we see that they're doing has been in the works for 12, 18 months, whatever it might be. So we're like, okay, this is areas that we need to get better at. Yeah. And we just doubled down, focused, and it was not an overnight change our mindset changed overnight of what we yeah. needed to do, but it took probably four or five years for us to kind of get back to where we wanted to be. And it's the best lesson we ever learned because I mean, I, I probably go to bed every night with that at the forefront of my mind yeah. of don't get complacent. And to your point before carrying on, like what my dad started is also weighs on us all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I say my dad, I don't want to, exclude my mom. She gave up a lot and worked in the family business too. But you know, they started it from nothing and you hear how many times like second generation, even third generation companies fail. Yeah. And that's obviously the last thing in the world we wanted to do or want to do. Yeah. You know, because when 
dad will come back or he'll see what we're doing and he says he's proud of us. Yeah. That means the world. Right. Of course. Yeah. I think there's a thing, there's a thing that probably doesn't get a much, uh, as much touting or whatever you want to say in kind of being proud of your family name. You know, that's something I, I, in doing jujitsu, right. You have those lineages where people are like really, really proud of their family name and, and where it came from. And so that's one of those things I, I thought about and think about a lot. Cause my dad wrote me this letter when I was like, I don't know, eight, 10 years old. I carry it around everywhere. And, uh, Oh, the family name. Yeah. yeah or the, yeah, that's a good, yeah. Yeah. And so I always, you know, his thing was kind of like, you know, don't treat this badly. This means something, even if it's just to you or me. And so listening to you and hearing you talk about that for me, I think it's a, a huge deal that probably needs to be talked about more because it's a lot of people who don't, they don't think about it. They don't think about that legacy. And like, after I'm gone, I have two boys, two girls, and it's on them. And I don't need them to, uh, hold out certain traditions, but I want them to carry on in a fashion where it's like, we're good people. We're, we're good stewards of that name and, and what it took to get where we are right now. So, yeah. and, I, and I think you hit on something there. You know, when I was younger, I assumed carrying on the family name was being successful financially. Yeah. The older I get to realize how, how far from the truth that really is. <laughs> it's what you just said, being good people. Yeah. You know, I get more joy now out of, you know, being able to empower the people that work for us and let them go do things. Yeah. Than me doing it personally many times, but that you're, you're exactly right that, you know, I want my family tradition to carry on, but because of the right reasons. Yeah. Exactly. Not because we know how to balance <laughs> yeah. the spreadsheet when or, uh, you know, our P and L is great, whatever. That's not what anybody's going to remember. When you're talking about authenticity too, right? It goes back to the idea about like, we're not seeing what's, what's somebody else doing. So we need to mimic that or we need to copy that. It's like, what are we doing? What's our, what's our values? What's our mission? What's our, what are the things that apply to us? And then the rest kind of takes care of itself sometimes in terms of like the business side of it. It's like when we focus on what is it that we stand for? What is it that we believe in rather than kind of trying to reverse engineer it into being like, what are we missing or what is whatever? Right. And that's years ago, we were at a trade show and some competitors walked by and they referred to my dad as the king of weird. He hates when I tell this story, but (laughs) it's a fantastic (laughs) title. Yeah. But he was one of the first guys out there that was doing different exotic looking like colors with firearms and different things, just something different. Yeah. And I said, dad, I think they were giving you a compliment. Mm. And he goes, well, they could have used different wording. I'm like, (laughs) well, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, to your point, I think they were trying to say he's authentic to what he wants to do. And, and there was a lot of naysayers back then of, what are you doing? Those guns, don't, they look like they're, yeah, you know, play guns or mm-hmm. whatever. They're not real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we learned a lot from that and try to remain authentic to that. And that's something that's like so interesting about coming down here to Winter Strong, which is put on by the Sorenex crew, is they're a very similar company to us. They're much bigger than we are. Yeah. But second generation, you know, and when I hear like, Pops talk his talk about his story of how, you know, they almost went under multiple times and he would do whatever it took, you know, and I listen to those stories and I see where they're at now. There's so many parallels that I see that I look to them as an example. Yeah. I mean, 
both of you guys, I think, are fantastic examples of that. Um, Pops, <laughs> Pops is, is, is a, interesting. It's not even the right word. Yeah. I, I like when he comes around and you get to hear some stories. Um, uh, and their company is pretty, <laughs> pretty fantastic and thank, thankful for this uh, event. Yes. But anyways, um, with with that being said, like, so you have this company. The responsibility is is what it is. What's um What's next, or what do you want to do with with uh, Volkortsen? There's a couple things. One, from like a product side, you know, eventually we'll, we will get into the center fire market. Yeah, we'll do that when we have feel like we've done everything we can in the rim fire market, and and, and it, it has to be done where it's not going to come at a loss to or at a sacrifice to what we're currently doing in the rim fire market. Mm-hmm. But more than even that is something that I've become very aware of lately is I want to I want to do a better job with our company as far as getting behind different causes. Okay. One, I think it builds very good team chemistry if you can unite in a cause. But it's the one area that we, in my opinion, we've been lacking for a long time. And a lot of it is we've been running at a probably – on average, six to eight month backlog for probably 15 years. Yeah. Which is great from a production side. You always have work to do and all those different things. But it's caused us to be very reactive mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. And now that we have more infrastructure in place, more employees, it's given us time to kind of look at it more from a proactive approach that, you know, we can do a lot more. Yes, firearms is our platform. Mm-hmm but we can do a lot more as a company than just, you know, build yeah. fire parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get the ability to do a lot. You can, uh, you know, what's that impact that like, you know, that splash zone grows in yeah. terms of what, what's the byproduct of what you're, and, what you're creating. And one of the things that we want to do is exactly like what we talked about earlier is we want to bring new people into the industry mm-hmm. yeah. and do it from a, a perspective and not to knock any other area that people get brought into the firearms industry, but do it from an area of it can be fun. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it's great for personal protection. Yeah. You know, you can – there's competitions out there, but it's also can be a great family day yeah. at the range. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something a granddad can do with his, you know, grandkids. You know, a husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, they can do it. Yeah. So we're – we want to be better at prom- uh, promoting that side of things where – you know, because I think back to like when obviously I grew up in the business yeah. when I was a kid, we just went out and shot for fun. Right. There wasn't like some there big meeting behind right, it. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. There, was, there wasn't a team. We, we have it's ammo like, yeah. and we have firearms. Let's go put it down range. Yeah. yeah my yeah. my dad actually, uh, I actually learned on 22. I didn't, I, I, I completely forgot about it. It was an air rifle first and then a 22. Um, so my dad was a JROTC instructor. And that's how I started with firearms. Um, and that's what it was. It was just a good time. It was serious, but it was still a good time. And then just recently, I took my um, both my boys out and uh, had them shoot, and the girls are next. So, and, and the boys that because we shot all all the courts and stuff, and uh, they had a blast. And they were just like, "When are we going?" That's the first question. We get back. When are we going back? And I was like, "All right." So now we got some. Some, some, and, some ammo here. And, and the thing that I love about it is it requires your kids to be present with you. 
Oh yeah. You know, it's not like trying to talk to them at night when they're on their phone or they're sidetracked. Yeah. You yeah, know, this is all we're doing right now is this. Yeah. They're a hundred percent in the moment. Attention. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that, but that is they're <laughs> They're locked in. Yeah. And there's, there is no other option. Um, so being that where we are now, um, well, I guess I, here's a good one. How did you guys get hooked up with, uh, Bert and Winter Strong and Sornex. So I was at the SHOT Show 2017 or 2018. I got a text from a friend who said, you're at SHOT Show, right? I said, yeah. He said, I got a friend, Brandon Lilly, that's down there. He goes, I'm going to send him over to say hi. And this is back when Brandon was like 300. Yeah. And there yeah. was no mistaking who was coming into our booth. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And I'll never forget, I have a picture next to him, and I look like just a little, like, yeah. I don't know, junior high kid or something, minus the gray hair, but just with his sheer size. Yeah. And he was probably only in our booth for like five minutes. We exchanged numbers. And I said, in my mind, I'm like, there'd be something kind of cool there. One of the strongest guys in the world yeah. shooting 22s. So we kind of stayed in touch. Uh, the following year at SHOT Show, he came back. And Bert was with him. Okay. And, and unbeknownst to me, I didn't know Bert knew who we were, mm -hmm. but I had commented on one of his posts and he's like, that's a huge compliment coming from you. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Cause I had followed them from the strength and conditioning side. Yeah. And that was the first year of winter strong. And he oh. said, and I didn't make it that year, but he invited me. And I said, what is it? He goes, I don't really know yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the best things start. Yeah, he said, like, we're, we're really going to be outside. Yeah. We're going to shoot some guns and, you know, have some, fun. have some fun. It'll be fun. And there was only like 40 people, I think, that yeah. at that first one. So I didn't make it to that one. Saw the pictures, saw the stuff. I'm like, I got to go next year. Yeah. And then it just kind of evolved from there. And then we actually came down in November, I believe, 2019. And Bert let us use his farm to do some marketing and filming. Okay. So it was myself. Uh, Brandon, Bert, and then uh, some of our ambassadors uh, were down here as well. And we spent like two or three days down here and just collected all sorts of content in the 360 range, on the rifle range. And, you know, Bert gave, he had Prescott out here helping us get stuff ready. It was just unbelievable the hospitality he yeah. showed us. Yeah. And I don't, to this day, I don't know how I can repay him for that because he let us use his how. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. And <laughs> the friendship and relationship has grown from there. Well, I mean, it's it's definitely, I think, paid off. <laughs> um, I talked about Burton and Sorenex before and the, and the book, The Go-Getter. And so I think that that's just who he is, you know. Um, but, I mean, I, I think the same thing about you. I mean, our our conversation – last year, which led to actually the, the formation of this podcast is like, it, that was a huge deal for me, right? I was in the middle of uh, trying to figure out how to get this thing launched. And I got that text message from you and it was like, and so to, to have that kind of backing where somebody's like, Hey man, I, I think you should do this is, is, uh, I don't have enough words to talk about it, you know? And he was one of the first people I called and I was like, Hey, this, there's a thing happening, you know? Um, so when you say like, you know, empower people, like that's what that felt like. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I remember hearing when you were telling me about it, I remember you, like, it was almost like I got to kind of hear it live. You have, you know, it's no different than you saying when 
he uh, commented on commented on your comment or that that meant a lot coming from you, right? It's that you hear that when you hear that in someone's voice when they realize, oh, there's this person's paying attention to me, or this person is realizing or recognizing what's going on. And I heard that in your voice that day. I remember when you called me, I was out in my garage lifting and I remember you calling and it was like, it was hearing your voice, which I don't usually hear your voice that often, but it was almost kind of like a, a disbelief excitement mm-hmm. of just like, Oh, this is like real. Cause you yeah. talked about it before. I mean, we, you know, you talked about this idea and like, Oh man, something I really want to do. But there was this moment of just like, Oh, that's like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's switched now. It's real. Now. It's real now. Yeah. Like something's there. It's different now yeah. than it was two minutes ago. And that, that's where I will say, like, even in that conversation we had just waiting for, you know, dinner that night, mm-hmm. I felt like there was just something, like, in the message that you had and the way you said it that yeah. was so real and genuine. And, and then in following you, and I had followed you prior to that, but then in following you more, mm-hmm. you know, I always feel like there's certain people that can articulate thoughts mm-hmm. much better than other people. Like before we started recording, we were talking about Greg Walsh. Yeah. He's one of those guys that <laughs> yeah. I could try a hundred times to say what he said. I'm like, I'll just copy that because it's so much better. Yeah. And, and I kind of feel that same way with, you know, some of the, when you talk and some of the, your mindset stuff. Yeah. And I felt like there was something, when you said you wanted to do a podcast, I just felt like there was something there that would be really good and helpful to a lot of people. You're a, you're the master of word efficiency. There's been countless <laughs> yes. number of conversations where I've ranted and rambled for like five to 10 minutes about something. And then, and then he'll be like, Oh yeah. Like da da da. And it's like four words. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's it too. Like we yeah. could have just got there first, like, and, and been a little bit more quicker with our and time. Sometimes I'll catch myself almost getting mad. I'm like, Oh, I do that all the oh, time. Why I'm did like, it take me 12 bitch. minutes yeah. to say yeah. that? Oh, Greg, Greg today, um, I mean, live and in person, we're talking and he said something about basically how people in the hardcore and BMX scene were kind to him and how that kind of led to what became this. And it was an unlock for me because I was like, oh, that's how powerlifting was. That's how all my martial arts career was, like everything. And so for me, it was so big. And the way he said it was just so efficient and like concise. And you're like, oh, wow. Like it's one of those truths you don't know. And the way he says it, and I think you do this somewhat, you say it and you get the full thought out, but you leave enough there that the person has to think about it for the, how it applies to themselves. It's not so much telling them, yeah, this is what you need to think. It's thought provoking where sometimes I'll be like, damn, Scott, Scott's got you good. He's got you good. He's got it. He's got, he's cracked. He's cracked the matrix. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is, man. That's exactly what it is. It's the ability to, it's the ability to say something that is, um, thought provoking, affirming, and also makes me want to continue to think about it. And I think it, you know, it goes back to that other thing. And this is kind of what I think you're referencing there. And it, it obviously goes without saying there's something really special that happens when someone acknowledges their belief in you without you ever seeking it. I think that tracks with what I'm trying to say, meaning that when, yeah. When, it's the same thing we were just talking about, like with, with what Greg said, and maybe that's just a theme is like when you get somebody, a Bert, a Pops, uh, you, Greg, and they say something and they're like, oh yeah, man, that's awesome. And I, I and I'm, you should keep doing that. Yep. Those simple things right there. And you're like, I guess I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. There's been, there's been <laughs> countless times when early on and when we were getting to know each other that I would post something or t- say something to you and you would say, and all you would say back is keep going. That's it. 
It's not a, it's not a six paragraph diatribe about whatever it's keep going. And that carries more weight than any sort of like, you know, Bud Kilmer varsity blues halftime speech or whatever. Just those two words are, are super powerful. I'll ask you, I know I'm guilty of it. I think sometimes I get so wordy trying to convince myself Mm -hmm. that I believe what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. We're like, sometimes the way you do it or Greg does it, it's like, you're not really telling other people what to believe. You're like, this is what I believe. Mm -hmm. Figure out how this applies to your life and think about it. And you do it from a way that's not condescending or Mm -hmm. demeaning in any way. So it's not like I have it all, you know, you're not coming across. I have it all figured out where some people online. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it comes back to what we were saying before. It's authentic. Yes. Right. It's, it's authentic. That's what it is. It's not, it's not some constructed, I'm going to need to send a message or say something that hits these four focus points about what motive it's like, no, it's just, it's, it's authentic. It's the same, you know, the same way you type or is the same way you talk. It's the same way you think. That's what I'll say to all that. Yeah. This is not about, <laughs> this is now about you. We, Scott no. and I plan this. We switch it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was just going to the fact that like, I think it's just amazing. And it's a good thing that you guys are going that direction and empowering. And, uh, one, uh, live on air, um, <laughs> we're here to do whatever we can to help in that message. Uh, it's important to me. Uh, it's also important to me because like you said, like when somebody else shows you that, like, Hey man, like this is a good thing. Like, I think that that's the, that's the, that's the deal. Right. Like, um, I always talk about friendship as a premium service, right? Like everyone's like, there's a reason why if you're my friend and you text me at 3 AM, you get a message back almost immediately. Right. Like that's, that's what it is to me. Um, so want to say that out loud. Um, but two, like the idea of you guys, uh, empowering and, and moving into trying to get people to experience firearms from not just personal protection or all the various reasons why we typically hear, um, and for just fun. I think that's also like super important as a guy who firearms has been a very, very, very large part of my life. Um, so what does that look like? I mean, not just going forward, but like, what does that even look like today? And um, I, I want to transition, so I'll, I'll say okay. the rest. <laughs> so we've been getting behind a couple different groups and organizations that do exactly this. Mm-hmm. For example, like we recently partnered with a, um, an organization called Shoot Like a Girl. Yeah. It started out as Shoot Like a Girl. Now it's evolved into um, – I'm going to forget the name. But it's a uh, safety first initiative. Yeah where they go around and they have two tractor trailers that they have set up that they go around and they do with like a lot of Bass Pro Cabela's in different places. They're heading to Daytona next week mm-hmm. where they encourage people who have never been around firearms to come in. Yeah. Inside the trailer, there's no firing pins. They've all been deactivated. So they get to handle them in a very safe environment and they get to they get their questions answered and I just talked to them yesterday and something very – I never even thought about this. I always think of new shooters or new people in our industry as young people. Mm-hmm. They said over – I think it was over 40% of the people that come into their trailer is over 50 years old. Oh, wow. And they said a lot of it is over the last couple of years, they realized, hey, we would like to be able to protect our home. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea where to even start. So that's one aspect that we're doing. The other thing – we're doing is we're very active in um, promoting shooting sports, like from a competition yeah. side, but primarily with young shooters. Yeah. And 
part of that hits home for me because for me because a couple years ago we had a young shooter who we gave him very minimal stuff. His dad bought most of it. But in talking to his dad at the range one day, he's like, let's basically save this kid in school. Yeah. They said he was a problem child, wouldn't do his homework, wouldn't do anything. They started using going to the range every weekend. You get this done here, and we go to the range on Saturday. Purpose. And they said the kid did a 180. Mm -hmm. And you start to see, like, how powerful that is. And for a lot of kids, you know, I love football, basketball as much as the next person. But for a lot of kids, that's not – doesn't give them purpose, and they may not be good at it. And it's very limited who can play it. Yeah. This kind of gives kids in that genre a completely different outlet to go be competitive in something and do something that they can be proud of. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, I was actually surprised by this in talking to some of the parents, how supportive many of the schools are. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I would have thought, and we hear the stories obviously the other way, but most of the time these schools are supportive and I can only think that because they're seeing a change in maybe the, yeah, sure. You know, the kid or they're seeing how responsible they are and the way they, you know, treat it, whatever it might be. But from what I've understood, the schools have been way more supportive than I would have ever guessed. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so, so just like powerlifting, martial arts, gymnastics, it's something that as you kind of referenced before, it yes. demands your full attention. You can't half-ass it. Right. right? It, it demands you to be present. It demands you to focus. It demands you to all these kind of things. And that stuff translates. It translates outside of there to other parts of your life, like whether it's for the young man with school or whatever it yes. is. Like you, if you can hone in that discipline in that thing, then that now starts to trickle out into all other areas of life. I mean, I speak from personal experience, right? With once you figure something like that out, that teaches you discipline. As a as an older person who learned that, who learned that in my late thirties, it was like, oh yeah, okay, I get it now. This is like this does relate to every other facet of life. And I think that happens all the time, whether it's, you know, being disciplined with what you put into your body, whether it's being disciplined, going to the gym right. or, you know, disciplined on the range, it literally does, like you said, applies to every area of your life. And you see it start to just become automatic. It's yes. not like you have to think about it and be like, Hmm, just like, it's just like, no, it just happens. Yeah. It just starts to translate to those. It's a supporting an outcome, mm-hmm. right? Like it, there's, there's a thing where we know where you want to get to. And then like, you start to realize, well, I guess if I got it, if I'm going to get here, it just mm-hmm. takes what it takes. Mm-hmm. And so I always think that's like, it's interesting. Cause when people kind of crack that code, you see it happen and it's like, Oh, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is what I do now. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about because we, we have spent some time talking about just like personal growth and transitions and stuff like that. Um, and I saw you pay, Talk about uh, hiring Jay for another year. Yes. So one, I wanted to bring that up because for me, that was like one of my first introductions to strength conditioning uh, in the internet was Jay Ferrugia. And so I thought that was cool. I didn't know that that was. He's the guy that introduced me to Brandon. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. That makes even more sense. Yes. I, I haven't met Jay, but I, I, I remember seeing on the internet when they started interacting. So. So. You'll find this story kind of funny. Yeah. I went out there back when he was in New Jersey, mm-hmm. back in 2010 or 2012, I went out to what he was calling then a renegade strength weekend. Oh, okay. And I walked in and you would have been like fit right in. Yeah. Me, not so much. <laughs> I looked around and I'm, you know, I had flown from Iowa and I'm like, 
maybe I should just turn around and pretend like I never even showed up. (laughs) And, but just taking that one chance and doing that, Mm -hmm. I stayed in contact with him years later. He started doing like a mastermind business coaching thing. And I started doing that with him. And so for probably the last six years, I've had him or I've hired him been part of his group and done everything that way. Yeah. And then I look at how like all the pieces fell together. I went in and I met him that time in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He introduced me to Brandon, you know, through just a simple text message. I got introduced to the Sorenex crew. Yeah. And then I look at the entire group of people I've met, like you and, you know, both you guys through Sorenex. And it all goes back to, I'm like, that was that one. Yeah. That one. Yes. That that's one. A, yes. That's a theme. I think that we've seen from conversations that, that, that one time that you went someplace that you were like, I don't know if I belong here. And it's, then you do it. And then holy hell, like what a domino effect of things that happen after that. It's that thing where like, we're talking about li- living an unreasonable life. And right. then it's like, well, how do you live an unreasonable life? Well, sometimes you're going to say yes to things that are just, oh, I really supposed to be here. Right. Or is this completely uncomfortable? Yeah. And then you're here and next thing you know, you're like, and it's, it's, and it also goes to type two fun. Like we talk about like type one, type two fun, mm-hmm. like type one fun, you, you know, you get on the roller coaster, you ride it. You're like, oh, that was awesome. And then you forget about it. You never think about it again. And then you do type two fun and you're getting rained on and you're trying to get Jen Rivets blueberry syrup <laughs> and then you never forget it. Yeah. Right. You know, days that don't blend in. Yeah. Or experiences yeah, that don't blend in. There it is. Experiences yeah. that don't blend in. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, again, in trying to, trying to Sherpa mm-hmm. other people into living an unreasonable life, I think that's part of the thing is like you have to say yes and you have to put yourself in positions that are like, ah, maybe not. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing I learned in that time is, so I went down that personal development rabbit hole. Yeah. I would go to some of his events, which led into other things, but it probably took me five or six years before I started becoming that person back with my local mm. friends, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I would be out and I'd be one person mm. and then I'd come back. We're a small town of 10,000 people where I live yeah. and I would default to the 21 year old version of myself. And as years went on, it almost became exhausting trying to balance those two personalities. Like you're living in two worlds. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's that idea about how that's, that's the magic, right? Is when you figure out how do I take this thing I feel in this place and bring it back to my own community or my own household or whatever it is. And that's that next level. That's like, that's where it even switches again. When you're like, I'm not just out in this place, experiencing, participating, feeling this thing. I'm now bringing it somewhere else. Correct. And I don't think it was like imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because it's who I wanted to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just, what are all these people that have known me for 25, 30 years going to say? It's, you know, I, I, I worked for this guy uh, one time um, who just to kind of set the story. So he was one of the first guys into Afghanistan. And so when I was working for him later on and we're not in the same environment at all. And he calls me in his office one day and he said, Hey, let's, let's have a conversation. And he was like, what's the biggest problem with being here? And I was like, oh, I'm trying to, I'm racking my head. I don't know what this guy wants mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you ever feel like all the people here? And I'm not saying this is specifically in your case, but do you ever feel like all the people here are trying to pull you down to their standards instead of up to your standards? And I was like, Oh, it was like a light bulb moment because I realized I was like, Oh, 
where you just have two different ideas of which is probably more what it is with you and what you're talking about. It's like, we just have two different ideas of how to go about things. And it was such a like kind of refreshing thing. To, Cause I was like, am I alone? Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. I would walk, I would come back to work every day and I'm just like, oh, I guess no one mm-hmm. sees this. <laughs> I was like, and he was like, no, oh, I see it. Well then, you know, on this, the thing I can tell you that I did, cause when trying to figure that out for myself, I, I was like, I need to, I need to do something that is like an unequivocal thing about like something's different now and is as small or whatever it seemed for me, it was getting tattoos on my knuckles. It was like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go to St. Louis and visit some friends. And I know someone, our friend Ashley, who does tattooing. And I'm like, I've always wanted to do this. And so I'm going to do this and now I'm going to come back home. And now this is a thing. So that was a marker for me of like, this is different now. You can't go back. You can't go back. Yeah, it yeah. really was. It was literally like, I mean, I remember having that conversation about it, like even thinking before and I'd be like, Hey, you really want to do that? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted to do it. And it's, we're going to make a decision now that like, this is, we don't go back from here. And did you find people were more supportive than you thought they would be? Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's yeah. what I found oh, after yeah. I started doing it is I'm like, I build up the reality in my head that these people are going to yeah. make fun of me and do whatever. But I start posting, doing more that, Hey, I'm at this event or doing whatever. And instead of the ridicule that I thought was coming, it was text messages. How'd you get started there? Yeah. Is there something similar yeah. I can do? Yep. Yep. And it was coming from people I would have guessed were, would have been the first ones to yeah. be like, what the hell yeah. happened to him or whatever it might be. Yeah. And that, that was the thing for me again, as, as small as that would be, I needed to do something that was unreasonable, right? Yeah. But something that I always wanted to do, but it was like, okay, let's just, we're going to pull the lever on this now. And then, you know, send a picture of it to my mom, who my mom rules. And my mom, I remember wrote back, my mom wrote back, love it. And I was like, that's it. All right. We're that's good all now. that counts. That's it. Like we're good. Like full systems go now. <laughs> Throttle it up. I was like, we're good. Just next stop face tattoos. <laughs> you're, you're on your own there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as tattooed as I am, I'm not getting my face tattooed. Um, I mean, last anecdote in that thing is uh, Brandon actually has a story like that. Brandon talked about getting his neck tattooed because he was like, I never want to work for anybody else again. Mm-hmm. And this ensures it. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's commitment. Like, yeah. If you don't want to talk about someone, I'm never going back. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to scooch cause right. I got to go do something, but okay. have fun. I'll see you tomorrow. Cool. Um, in lines with the personal development and some of the things we've talked about privately and, and everything else, what, what's been one of the bigger, I don't know if takeaways is the right thing, but takeaways or things that you've done or instituted, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. I've actually, and this is really recent. Yeah. I've decluttered and I've eliminated a lot of the inputs I was having. Yeah. I had so many podcasts on my playlist. I had so many books that I caught myself. I was reading books just to get to the end so I could like get to the next book, get to the next book and yeah. chalk it off me. Like, oh, I read that one. Like, yeah. it, like that made me better that I read that book. Yeah. So I started streamlining a lot of that. And then the other thing that I started doing was I'm like, okay, I've got, I've been to a lot of events. I've had a lot of coaching. I need to take actual action Yeah. to put this into play or what good is it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was almost like reading a new book or listening to that next podcast or whatever it was. It was just my way of procrastinating. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a thing there. Um, 
we talked about it in reference to that and also imposter syndrome. When people say something about imposter syndrome, a lot of times you can boil it down to a form of procrastination. Um, but I think what's, what's, what's cool and what's interesting there is like, I think everyone who kind of goes down the personal development, like really wants to grow and change hits that rabbit hole. Yeah. You're just like, I'm just consuming. And then at some point in time, it's like, there has to, you, just, you have to pull the lever and just keep pulling. Um, you know, I think people I've seen do that with events. Yeah. They will go to conference after conference after conference and you see them five years later and they're in the exact same place they were. Yeah. I, I had the same epiphany with uh, strength conditioning, actually. Like, um, I remember I was in a gym and I look around, I had been in this gym for like three or four years and I was going essentially the same time every day. And I look around and I go, we all look the same. We're all lifting the same. Nothing's changing. And I was like, there's got to be an answer here because I'm obviously not finding it. And that's when I finally was like, you know what? A coach might help. <laughs> that's what I was like. <laughs> and I was like, it never dawned on me before. I was like a template, whatever kind of guy, just going to gym and lift weights or whatever. And I was like, I should probably find a coach. And I did. And then all of a sudden, you know, my powerlifting numbers and stuff went from like 12 to 17. It's just crazy. And it was like, oh. And to that point, like you mentioned me working with Jay, mm -hmm. I worked with them for years and I never saw the results I thought I should. Mm -hmm. But then after I evaluated, it was on me. He would always say, send me videos of you doing this video or this exercise or whatever, or send me what you're eating in a day. And of course, whenever anybody online says, send you what you're eating in a day, you pick the day that you've nailed it. You, you know, you didn't pick Sunday afternoon watching football. Yeah, yeah. You picked that Monday when you're back at it and everything's dialed in. That's. But, but I didn't want to send, this is how weird it was. I didn't want to send videos because I'm like, I don't want him to. Yeah like judge what I'm doing, but yet I'm paying him to judge what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, it's that, um, it's that whole like cycle of like, well, if I send you this video then you're going to say something then I have to do something and then it yeah. becomes like, well, I, you know, it's funny because, um, coaching guys, like that's one of the things I've realized, like you got to kind of make sure that they understand like, Hey, like it's okay. Like I'm not going to lambast you because you're like, Hey man, today I had whatever. And, and I think that's one of the nuances of coaching, and I'm sure you figured this out, is there's a time when you have to be very blunt. Yeah. And I know I need that as a client, but there's also a time when, you know, I may honestly be trying to learn a something new. Yeah. And it's going to take me three, four weeks to get there or longer. I think um... – the the deal I, t I typically use with guys is like, they'll be like, you know, and I don't really coach uh, fitness or any type of thing like that anymore. Um, but even just using this analogy has kind of been helpful for me. It's like a guy will be like, oh, you know, is this a good bench press? And my answer is always like, well, how long have you been doing it? You know, if you've been benching that same number for 10 years, then maybe it's not a good number. But if you're making progress in whatever metric you need to make the, the progress in, then we're okay. Yeah. It's not necessarily, you know, the comparison game. Like there's only one Larry wheels and we don't, I don't want to be that at all. <laughs> um, but it, when it comes to like, you know, just coaching and helping and everything else, it's like setting the stage to know so you can know like, Hey, this is okay. 
And uh, my goal is to get you from point A to point B. And doing that, you know, typically comes with some like, one, we have to be really honest. And uh, once upon a time ago, my office used to have this thing that says ruthless self-assessment. And so that's what I'll typically ask guys to do. I was like, I need you to assess yourself as harshly as possible because that way, if you can't do that, if you can't find yourself on the map, you don't know where to go. Right. So I don't know. That's, that's been a thing. Um, I'll tell you one of the things you brought to my attention that I, I still constantly think about today was the, uh, and I don't remember who it was, but we were talking about but the one hour a day in thought and, uh, that I don't do an hour. I couldn't if I wanted to, um, but trying to spend some time in deliberate thought alone, no nothing has been big. And it's, and I don't always get an hour in either. I, I would love to get an hour every day. Yeah. But even to me, it's amazing how many ideas and different things will come during that hour or whatever that time period yeah. is, because I think we're so connected to everything that, is going on and I've tried like, and I wish I was better at it, like the meditation and all that. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people have success with that, but when I try to do that, my mind wanders. So yeah. this just basically gives me a chance to let it wander mm -hmm. and kind of go with whatever thoughts I may have or um, anything that comes to me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's key. Like one of the, one of our, one of our good friends, uh, Nick, he uh, coaches in, in Ohio. He has a thing where he talks about allowing yourself to be bored. And I think that's part of it, right? Like I noticed when I came back and I had all my inputs back, right? TV, Netflix, whatever. It was harder to write. And I couldn't figure out why. I was like, why is it so hard to write all of a sudden? And then Nick was like, you're not bored. Like, yeah, whatever. And so I just kind of let myself get bored one day. And uh, it actually, actually, it was kind of forced upon me. <laughs> um, in my new job, when you in process, you don't have your phone, you don't have anything. And you're just sitting there waiting for people to talk to you. And in between those times, I was just filling up journals. Yeah. Like just pages. Of, and I was like, oh, this is what it is. You've been, and it's, I think, again, like going down that whole self-development rabbit hole, like one of the guys I coached recently, I had to tell him, I was like, hey, there's no more self-development books. You know it all. I was like, you're just going to hear the same thing in a different flavor. And I was like, so now your job is to stop consuming that and then start doing. And then you, if you want to consume something else, it's fine. But like, we're done. Well, I know I'm very guilty of this. You can get to the point that that's all you do. Yeah. And you, you forget to laugh. You forget to have fun. Because you're so worried about consuming that next form of media, whatever it is, yeah. that, you know, like I said, I've had to be very intentional on getting rid of some of that lately because it was literally consuming my entire life. And, and I've learned a lot from it, so I, I wouldn't change a thing yeah. other than – like you said, a lot of the stuff just all says the same thing. It's yeah. In a, it's in a different voice with a slightly different twist, but the message is the same. Yeah. You're after a while, like you're, you're just, you're going over the same thing and you might get a small nugget, but it's not really the same. It's not really different. Or worst case scenario, it's slightly different, 
And then what you were doing and building success on this side. Oh yeah. This challenges that narrative and says, Hey, have you tried doing it this way? And you're like, Oh, I'm going to jump over here and do it this way. And <laughs> yeah, that's know. what, that's literally the, the client I have now. That's what I was talking to him about. It was, uh, he's like changing it. I'm like, why would you change this? It's working. And so, I mean, I felt my, I found myself down that same rabbit hole. So I understand completely. And I think streamlining, there's something to be said about streamlining, streamlining and also be, allowing yourself to get bored. And I think realizing that it's going to take time. Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's man. It's interesting. Like time's one of those ones where like we all know it and five years can seem like nothing, but before the five years happens, you're like, Oh my God, five years. Yeah. And then you look back on five years and you go, what the hell was I worried about? Like that was literally a blip of time. Yeah. You know, it's trying to explain to children is the worst. Like my, you know, they only have a framework. Like my, my youngest is uh nine right now and his frame of reference is only nine years so you tell him five years time and he's like oh it's half my life <laughs> you know but i i get that um let me ask you um since we're talking since we did it um out of out of the books and things that you consume which what's been the one that you would probably recommend I think one that, and this isn't going to be new to anybody, but how to win friends and influence people, I think should be read by most people. And I've even had my kids read it because I feel like being able to communicate is getting worse instead of better, especially in-person communication. Yeah. You know, everything's text messaging and different things that way. And then I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I just read one not too long ago that was. I even recommended it to, oh, I think another good one is The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think the thing I like about that one is, you know, he went, you know, to the extremes. Yeah. But I feel like if you read that book, you can apply that to your everyday life. Absolutely. Um, So that was my favorite book of last year. Like, or it's been, I mean, we guess we could say the last two years because I reread it several times. So. This year, uh, 2022, it's 2023 now. Um, and, um, there's a lot to pull out of that book. And I actually ended up picking up two more books because of that one. Um, the Tibetan art of living and dying. I I picked up because, um, you know, morbid me fascination with death. Um, but that book was, yeah, it is. That is a fantastic one. Um, and you just said something that you, before you asked the one thing that I've learned from self-development, mm-hmm. I had a friend, Mike DeSandy teach me, and this is something uh, initially that scared the hell out of me. And you just talked about it here when you said morbid was he'll always remind me to keep death close Yeah, where we're taught, you know, as a culture to pretend like it's never going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and we do, we're great at pretending it's going to happen to everybody else, but us. <laughs> and that is probably one of the things that has stuck with me more than anything mm-hmm. is just that, you know, not to be scared of it and not to dwell on it, but just to know that it's there. We're, we're not getting out. I yeah. mean, yeah, you know, and make- it can happen at any time, which has given me more urgency in a lot of the things I do. Yeah. Um, that's exactly why I think I, 
you know, one bull being so close to it for so long. And then two, um, wanting to be, wanting to, wanting it to be a bit more normal with my friends who aren't close to it. Right. Because sometimes, and this is actually something I had a conversation with Mike Weister about was, um, you get frustrated with your friends who don't keep it close because you're like, man, you're wasting this. Yes. And especially if it's your, like your talented friends, you know, you're like, man, you, you have this thing and you're wasting it because you think you're immortal, you know? And, uh, he was expressing, you know, some very similar sentiments to me about it. Um, so yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, um, I've never met Mike DeSanti, um, but I read his book. I was fascinated. I liked it a lot. So <laughs> tell him, tell him I say that. I will great. do. And he's one of those guys that you become better just by being around him. Yeah. Because he's the same person. He literally lives the way he talks. Yeah. He, he's not somebody that's just out there putting something on social media or on a podcast. That's truly who he is. Yeah. And you know, I've just learned and I try to get better just from being around him and having conversations with him. I think that's one. Of, I mean, one of the things we, we like Elliot sent me a mug one day and he's like, it's a lighthouse mug. And he, and so they have this thing in our group where we talk about being a lighthouse. And that's what Mike reminds me. I don't know him, but everybody I've heard talk about him says things like that. And what, it makes me think about is the fact that I want to surround myself with people like that because it's, it's easier to be the best version of yourself around people who are being the best version of themselves. And it's apparent. So I don't know that, that that's, a, that's a big, that's a big deal when you hear and you're around that. So, and I mean, I don't know, again, I don't know either of these gentlemen, but like Mike DeSanti and Jay were, that's how I met. That's how I. And the interesting thing is they do it in two completely different ways. Yeah. But they both, you know, they truly want to bring out the best in other people. Yeah. And the one, the one thing that if I could emulate one thing from Mike D that it would be is the ability to listen to people without judging people. Yeah. And he will always say, he goes, I'm not here to judge you. He goes that, you know, he goes, nobody can tell you what's right or wrong. Yeah. He said, that's for you to decide. But once again, kind of like I talked about, like what you and um, Greg do is he'll say stuff and make you think about it. Yeah. He's not telling you what to think. He'll challenge what you're thinking. Yeah. The, the thing I heard a long time ago to make me kind of change my perspective, other than like actual experiences, but just get, ask better questions, get better answers. And that's what I always kind of just looked at with people is like, you'll encounter a problem set. And somebody can't see it because they're either too close to it or, they don't have the tools or, you know, it's like we talked about last year when I talked about like thought mapping, like there's certain ways I can't think because I've never been exposed to it. My map doesn't have that road. And then all of a sudden you, you ask them a question and then they're like, Oh my God, you know? And so, um, that's what, that's what I've seen. Um, With the uh, comfort crisis, because I do, I want to talk about that for a second. Out of out of that book, what was the what was the piece that probably hit you the most? Probably when he went over to, I always, I don't know if I pronounce this right, Bhutan. Yeah, yeah. And you know, just the dichotomy of 
they're one of the poorest countries on earth, but one of the happiest. Yeah. And then how, when he was interviewing people over there, they would talk about how we get so caught up in needing that next thing that then we have to work harder to get to that next thing. And we miss out on so much of life, you know, trying to gain the next, whatever the widget widget is. Yeah. Yes. That's, um, one of the things, man, from traveling, that's one of the things that I got that and just an, an overwhelming feeling of being small, but in the best way possible. Um, but like, I remember I was sitting in a cafe in, in Spain and it's just, there's no rush. I was like, just kind of hanging out. And I think at first glance, it's really easy to be like, whoa, why aren't you rushing or whatever? And then it's real, you take it for granted and you start juxtaposing it against like what we do on a daily basis. And you're like, oh, why am I rushing? Like, don't get me wrong. I think that there's a, there's a, there's a balance that's hard to strike, but being able to step back and, and realize like if, if life is a collection of moments, how many moments have I missed in my rush? So yeah. that's my favorite part in the book, by the way, too. So I was, that's why I started smiling when oh. you said that. Yeah. The Bhutan part is, um, also, like what's fascinating, uh, he doesn't talk about it in the book, but it's the only country that's not a Nordic country that's in the happiness scale. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. And that's why so I always find it fascinating because it's like all the rest of them are like Norway, Sweden, whatever. And then there's Bhutan. It's in the middle. Nothing. And the interesting thing about like in the beginning of that book is this was a guy that had never really hunted much, mm. at, if at all. And he just didn't decide to you know, go on a simple hunt. Granted, he worked his way up to it or whatever, yeah. but he ends up going with Donnie Vincent, who's one of the best hunters around <laughs> yeah. and, and immersed himself all the way in, you know, and it wasn't, you know, something that he could say, okay, I'm out and just leave. No, you're there. He was there for 30 days. Yeah. Or I think it was 30 days. I have to go back and look, but yeah, that's fantastic. That's a fantastic book. Um, that's something that we're going to try and do once hopefully this thing gets kicked off a bit, a bit harder is, uh, there's a, there's a hunting trip I want to document. And, um, we actually, Michael Easter and I are trying to plan a podcast right now. So we'll, we'll make that happen. Um, and he's got another book coming out, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure when I just seen it on his social or whatever. No, he does. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm supposed to have an appearance in it. Little, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see if I make the cut. Um, but yeah, he, he does. And I, I, I don't want to say a considerable amount of time, but he's been very, very, very um, gracious and fantastic and like fielding all my questions about writing. Um, well, in the essence of time, we're going to land this plane, but I wanted to ask you the same question I've asked everybody at the end of the show. Um, if you had a billboard where you're either talking to yourself, actually, I'm going to pause. There's a second, there's, I do want to talk to you about something important. Um, being a dad. Um, for me, it's, it's one of the most important things that I think probably the most important thing I can un- in undertake, uh, in my life. And it's also one of the most challenging. It's one of the times in my life where I'm constantly questioning, like, am I doing this right? And constantly going, how can I do this better? And so, um, I kind of just wanted to bring up, what does that mean to you? Especially like we kind of talked about legacy and everything else. Like what is it, what is being a dad to you mean? And, and yeah, I guess like, where, where do you 
struggle and where do you feel good at? One of the biggest struggles I have is, am I doing enough? Am I preparing them? Oh, yeah. You know, am I, are, are they going to be okay if something yeah. happens to me or once they get out, preferably nothing happens to me for a while. And are they yeah. going to be okay when they get out to the real world by themselves? Yeah. You know, and it's a fine line of, am I, do I give them too much or, you know, should I have them be doing more on their own so they can learn for themselves? Yeah. So that's probably one of my biggest struggles. The one thing that I've always been very proud of, and I learned this from not having it happen. And, and when I say this, I want to make sure I'm not knocking my dad in any yeah. way, but I grew up where, because he was so tied to the business and everything that was going on, there was a lot of games that were missed. Yeah. A lot of events that were missed. And I always told myself, I will go to everything that my kids have. Yeah. And, and I've missed a few because I've been on work trips or yeah. different things. But when I'm home, I do everything in my power to get to their events and try to become very interested in what they're doing. Yeah. You know, like my middle child is daughter who, for those that know, is, was a competitive dancer all through school, high school, whatever. And she's still in that now after high school. Mm -hmm. I know nothing about it. <laughs> I can't dance and I don't know anything about it, but I tried to learn everything I could. Yeah. You know, asking questions. And I think that meant the world to her that, you know, she knows I have no ability in this. Yeah. But that I was trying to become interested. And, you know, I think it's so easy sometimes that we dismiss different things like that. Mm -hmm. But she's as passionate about that as other kids are about other things. Yeah. And then, the other things everybody always wants to know about like work-life balance, Yeah. which after my youngest son is 18, I've learned it's never going to be a balance. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's impossible, but when I'm with them or present with them, I try to be present with them and not distracted with work, distracted with whatever else is going on. And I'm far from perfect at it, but that is one thing that I really try to do is be present there. Yeah. And the other thing, and I don't mean to ramble on this, no, but, but the other thing is I listen to my kids a lot mm -hmm. because if you listen to your kids, they will call out where you are not, not congruent to yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. You know, whether it be, I can talk about how you have to keep your emotions in check and all this flip a football game on and the remote goes flying across the room. Yeah. And my kids will just look at me and they're like, yep, that's just what you teach us, <laughs> you know, or yeah. You know, just any little thing, they're not afraid to call you out. Yeah. It's funny, man. Like, um, I had it in a, in a different sense. My my youngest daughter is a lot like I am. And she comes downstairs one day. And I don't know what we were talking I don't remember what we were talking about. She's like, I'm just like dad. And I was like, what in the hell? And she's just like, yeah, you know, like I'll do a million things at one time. And I was like, whoa. And she like spot on. She knows exactly what she's talking about. I go like, all right. Um, and as far as like paying attention, you know, it's funny. I find myself, um, my, again, my youngest daughter, she's really into anime, not my thing, yeah. but now on Wednesdays I watch, I started watching chainsaw man. So I'm, I'm deep in it now. And, and I realized just like that, like one simple act, like, Hey, on Wednesdays, this is what we do. Like, I don't watch episode ahead. You don't watch an episode ahead. This is what we do in her face. She's like, it's Wednesday you know what we're doing. And I'm like, Oh, you know, and it's, and it's cool too. And I think the other thing is like, she's, a, she's going to turn 11 on Sunday. 
And I'm like, how many more of these do I have before it's like, I'm too cool to hang out with dad. Yeah. You know, and the same thing for my boy. And so on Mondays we play chess and we flip throw the football and that's what he wants to do. And so it's like, I, I just noticed such a big switch when I was like, okay. Cause they were like, Hey, we're not getting enough time. And I was like, sold dedicated times. Here it is. Here it is. This is what we're doing. If you want to change it, we'll go through there. And then, you know, and so it's been, it's been a, it's been a, a big deal to kind of recognize. And I think when you look at it, the way you just said of, you know, how many more summers or whatever it might be yeah. until they're out on their own, you realize how fast it's going to go. And that remind I had a conversation back to Mike DeSanti. He just had a young boy. Yeah. And he said, the, you know, he said, I'm going to have to rely on you on advice. And I'm like, if anybody's going to figure this out, it'll be you. <laughs> <laughs> but something he said that hit me, he said, the one thing I've never understood is a lot of times when you talk to dads, they'll be like, oh, I can't wait till he's older and we can go do this. Oh, yeah. And he's like, what's wrong with just enjoying the now and you'll get to those times? I think that's important. I think any other thing. So I, my, my two oldest, I was gone. I was in OEF and OIF and whatever else you want to call it for most of their life. Right. And so they don't, they don't, what they know of dad is more of a, uh, dad is doing this for you. Dad is doing this because of this. Right. And they're awesome about it. They, I, I literally can't say that without fail. Like I did not, my two oldest were like, dad's leaving again. And it wasn't heartache and grief to me, like their moms that God bless them. But like, um, but, um, can I ask you a question yeah, on that? Do you think communicating with them, like exactly what you're doing to yeah, as much as you could 100%. makes a huge difference, huge difference. When my kids were young, I would leave and I'd be like, I'm just going here. And that was the end of it. Yeah. And they would struggle sometimes when I left and I had some advice given to me that, Hey, make them feel like they're part of it. Tell them why you're going, what it's going to, you know, what you hope to achieve out of it. And that was like changed everything when I start when I was traveling. Yeah, I think that. And then for my youngest two, I'll use it a bit different because they were not used to me being gone. And then when I started being gone all the time again, I, we bought calendars together. We started putting X, this is when dad's gone. This is when he'll be back. This is what he's doing. And very astute, very like, okay, cool. But it was like, when, and then there, like I said, my family. Um, their mom, my, my, my mother and father, everyone in my family is very good about being like, this is what your dad is doing. This is why he's doing it. This is what's happening. And I think that, cause I was the same thing for me. My, my father was a soldier for 28 years and, um, you know, I don't remember much consternation or, or issues with him being like gone. My, my mom said I did give him some shit twice, but like, no, it's just, Yeah. Well, and that's something I'm, well, I'm always quick to, my dad gets a lot of credit for our family business. Yeah. But now that I'm older and I realize oh, yeah. that's only possible because of, you know, mom worked in the business later on, but when we were young, she was managing everything at home. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, so it's, it's easy to give dad a lot of the credit, but it was definitely a partnership there that allowed it to happen. I think being a dad is, is more important than we give it credit for. And then I think moms don't get enough credit. I would agree with that. You know what I'm saying? Like I, my, my mom and then watching my children's mother, like insane. Right. And, and I, I couldn't say enough good things. Like my, my kids are dope. I, I'm so lucky. I, I was a hellion. So to, to make it out thus far with the first two 
where we are now. I'm like, how did this happen? And then with my youngest two, it looks like it's much of the same. And I'm just like, this is you. My kids behaved way better through high school than I did. I know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I was, I was, yeah. I, you know, and like you said, moms don't get enough credit because I remember like my wife would leave on a trip or whatever it might be. And she'd come home and the house would be destroyed. <laughs> and she's like, what did you do? I'm like, they're all alive. Yeah, they, what what, what you, else what you did you want? <laughs> what do you want from me? They're here. They're accounted for. They're alive. I know where they're at. They haven't missed a meal. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't know. Um, they, yeah. My my kids have been absolutely fantastic, and so, you know, I can't say enough about that. But, like, as far as being gone, I think that was the thing that's been the most helpful is that communication piece. And I, I don't really talk to my kids like they're kids, and especially at a certain age, I definitely switch it off. I think they can handle a lot more than we give them credit for, and yeah. they're, they're a lot more aware of what's going on than 100%. what we believe. Uh, Afghanistan taught me that. All my trips overseas taught me that. I would see kids um, doing and saying – the craziest things that we wouldn't allow our kids to do. And they were still kids. It's like they would oscillate between like, here's this seriousness to like, let's go play soccer. And I would be like, Oh, okay. I don't want to expose you to war. It's not what I'm saying. But if that can happen, then I could probably have a conversation with you about whatever we need to talk about. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and the other thing, like to get back to your point about why dads, you know, when you want to get to the point when they're able to talk, the thing that I learned with my two youngest was um, that period of time is so, like, they're so malleable and intake everything, and that's when they're that's when they're going to like you when you're older, yeah. <laughs> like because of that time, like. You know, it's not like you're going to show up when you're like 11. Like, yeah, you're cool. So yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm encouraging the guys I know like, Hey man, like spend as much time as you can during it. It's, it's one, it's when they're learning the most. And, and like it, you said, that's when they like you. And then they go through the phase where they can't stand you and don't want you to do anything. And then I've learned they come back because then they move off on their own. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, all those meals that you wanted to take them out to eat to or whatever, they're like, yeah, I'll go Yeah. now that they're on their own. It's interesting because, like, so my oldest boy is, um, I don't think we went through much of, like, the I can't stand you phase. But because I've always looked at it in two two ways. And, and um, I think these kids are preparing themselves unconsciously for the fact they know they're alone. And so what I started doing is kind of, like, taking my hands off the reins. And I started just being like, hey, I'm going to coach you. And then you get to make a decision, right? Like, I'm not going to, like, I understand. That's awesome. That, yeah, I understand at, like, 18, you're going to feel like this. So, and then, like, you know, having the same conversation with mom. I mean, she does it her way and her things. But, like, as far as his and I relationship, it was like, hey, and he'll call. Hey, Dad, what do you think about this? Hey, Dad, what do you think about this? And I tell him, like, hey, this is what I would do. Or this is what I did. <laughs> Don't do that. And that is the other thing. I'll be very honest with, okay, when I tell you this, just so you know, this is very hypocritical or very opposite of what I did at that age. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't want you to find out later on that you think I'm misleading yeah. you. Yeah. So, I'm saying this from experience. Yes, I did this. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. All right. Um, so the thing I wanted to ask you, uh, if you had a billboard 
and whether you're speaking to yourself, your kids, or you just wanted the world to know, what would your billboard say? It would have to be something along the lines of I don't know how to word it, but just promoting the idea that eliminate the fear of what other people think about you. Yeah. Because I feel like so often we make so many decisions or we don't make decisions or indecisive because we're so worried about what people think about us. When in reality, they're typically focused on themselves anyway. Yeah. And they don't care what we're doing. And it, I feel like a lot of people would take more chances, act on more dreams that they want to pursue if they weren't worried about, and and it doesn't have to be friends. I mean, sometimes it's family members, whoever. It's anybody. They they just, and and once you get out there, people realize that, or I shouldn't say they realize it, but you learn that most people want you to succeed. Yeah. And that fear will stop you from doing so many things. Yeah. Yes. Give yourself the permission to be yourself. Yes. I think so. And then, um, as a, as a quick aside or, or, or rant, <laughs> there's a thing where you see on the internet a lot of times where people will be like, you know, I'm going to keep my dreams a secret so people don't shit on them or whatever, whatever version of that you see. And I think they're asking the wrong question because sometimes what they should be asking is why are you have people around you that that's even a, a thing? Cause you, you said it like, there's nobody in my circle right now who doesn't want to see me succeed. And that's powerful. And I think that that's the question. If you have that in your life, why are you allowing it? So I think that's, that's a perfect, uh, yes. a perfect end. So I appreciate you, Scott. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for the unreasonable podcast. You're welcome. All right. Thank you so much.